Hello and welcome. This is the Beat from Scratch with veteran Ugun Sinachi. This podcast gives you entry-level knowledge with the highest level of simplicity for very sophisticated debate materials. This podcast grants you access to understanding complex debate principles, to understanding complex debate formats, and it brings it all to a very basic level of communication. So join me as I welcome you into the classroom of analysis, logic, and debates every Saturday here on this podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of uh, Debate from Scratch. I'm Ugum Sinachi here live at uh, Bravo City and we're very excited here because I mean, this is one of those continuities from when we had a little break in transmission due to technical issues that were beyond our control. But now that we've regained control, we are so excited to have you guys in class and we are so excited to also see that this is one of the practical sessions on how to have debates happen and how to make debates happen. So this is not just a session about, you know, what happens within debates. This is a creator session. And I'm so excited to have Lewichi and Amazing Grace in class joining me today. I missed other things. So um, in former classes, we had dealt with, you know, how tournaments evolve. And I had mentioned that tournaments evolve from the simplest of ideas, you know. Um, for societies, debate societies that do not have a very stable supply of tournament, that society stands to face a large chunk of decay. If you do not have a stable, continuous flow or influx of tournament, how then are you going to be able to shape what you do? How else are you going to be able to hone your skills? How else are you going to be able to perfect your craft? Debate is a practicing sport. It's a doing sport. It's an action sport. And even though it does not require extremely high-level testosterone like wrestling would, it does require very high-level intellectual engagement so while the fight is not with the muscle it is with the brain and what this means is that there is action taking place and as the action keeps taking place we keep developing you know stamina to be able to withstand logic stamina to be able to counter logic stamina to be able to establish new ideas and critical thinking on our feet so all of these skills are developed and many other skills public speaking and so on and so forth so, but there are some key things um, we highlighted in the last um, sessions, the last two sessions especially. The last two sessions, we highlighted things about, uh, first off, the first thing we highlighted was how tournaments begin, where tournaments begin from. Okay, so usually it begins from an idea, a spark of idea. But that spark of idea must begin with you saying, I am enough. I am enough to create a change. I'm enough to do something about what is happening with status quo. I'm enough to call people together and call for a tournament to happen. That is where it starts. The second one is gathering a team, right? It's really easy if you have, you know, a team with shared interests. But even if you do not have a team with shared interest in debating at itself, you could have a team with shared interest in things like um, uh, organizing and planning of events with things like... Um, catering 
with things like um, events, you know, scheduling and so on and so forth. If you have those kind of people on your friends list, they are the first people you want to call. You want to tell them, listen, I want to organize a tournament. I want to set up a tournament, but how do I begin, right? I'm going to need this, this, that, 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 that. First, of course, we want to know how many people we can accommodate, right? What, what are the options for accommodation if your tournament is going to be live? Well, if your tournament is going to be online, then all you have to worry about is, you know, how can we spread the word that, you know, this tournament is happening? Which uh, people can we invite to be part of the core adjudication panel, right? So that they could get to, you know, with hopes that these people's influence can bring in a lot of people because it's a new tournament. Notice, because you're starting a new tournament, that is why you're considering CAP that can bring in lots of people, okay? If you have an established tournament like the Pan-African University Debate Championship, the Nigeria Debate Championship, and so on and so forth, the, the Nigerian Debate Community Opens, and so on and so forth, these ones already have established street cred, okay? You focus your core education panel on first who can deliver and second possibly regional representation okay but mostly who can deliver right if you do that a lot of people come to your tournament people who come to pan-africans university Bay championship regardless of you know who is ca for that tournament and i know sometimes you know we, we are tempted when we are organizing bigger tournaments to say uh we want to bring in people who you know, have cred in the circuit, you know, because without them, people won't come. That's a false assumption. First off, if you want to bring people who have cred in the circuit, it's because you need cred for your tournament. And that is, that is your need, okay? It's not because people will not show up for your tournament. A tournament well-established will have people attend it because debaters love tournaments. And that's one key thing you should know. Okay, the next phase is always saying, um, okay, so we, we have um, an idea, a fair idea. We are brainstorming. We have so-so-and-so person. You know, sometimes, too, you want to change the experience. Let's say maybe um, a lot of tournaments that have happened in recent times have only had, you know, CAP from certain regions. And you're like, oh, no, I can get CAP from Australia. I can get CAP from China. And I can get CAP from India. Australia, China, India. Australia, I could get from maybe Monash Association of Debaters. They will center motions more around principles and will help us think philosophically. I could bring from um, India, you know, they would set up principles around, you know, religion, you know, know what the strengths of the circuits are and then use that as your selection metrics effectively, right? So you could want to do that. You want to get a more diverse pool of CAP. But understand that you're doing that because you want your tournament to have a certain flavor. Not because not doing that is not going to give your tournament attendance, okay? So know what your marketing point is and use it to sell. One of the tournaments we had a certain time, we had to involve a lot of, and, and we did something, we had an on-site CAP and an online CAP. So all of them, you know, they work together, create and generate motions and all of those, do all those deliberations. But because a lot of on-site CAP were foreign guys, you know, people from circuits that people liked and, you know, people envied, especially, you know, some of the top tier guys at the uh, World Universities Debate Championship, what it meant was that a lot of people who aspired and looked up to these people felt obligated to attend the tournament. So you see, that's, that's like one way exactly to dip in to the tournament pool. The next way to be able to dip into a tournament pool using uh, your core education panel as well is um, mixing. You know, I call it mixing because uh, it means a mixed breed. You get very, very experienced TAP 
and then you mix with uh, DCAs and shadows. So usually DCAs and shadows might seem like expensive to put on the list, especially if you are thinking of, ah, I have to bring these people over, I have to deal with feeding them and all of that. But if you have DCAs and shadows that are internally sourced from people who you know have a, um, and this is another thing, people who you know have prospects in advancing their debate career, but are not supported enough, you could contact those people and say, listen, I want you to be DCA at this tournament, okay? Um, if you have a pay plan, you say, okay, yeah, we have a pay plan for you. But if you do not have a pay plan, I think those people will be more, more than excited to attend, you know, especially if you're going to be catering for some little basic things like their transportation and their feeding, right? Especially for new and smaller tournaments that do not have a budget, right? Or that do not have a standard budget. These people will get to understand, okay? You promise them accommodation. You promise them their feeding for the period they are going to be there. And you promise them their transportation. Most likely, when you do all of these three things or these three things in some combination, it facilitates, you know, acceptance. So what it does is that this person who is more like an intern gets to um, do some OJT on the job training to become a better adjudicator and also to understand complex organizations of debate. So on that level, your CAP is done. Once your CAP is put together, you know, it's your job to know of, I already mentioned how, you know, how many teams you're going to be able to welcome at the tournament or have at the tournament. Again, you could have large amounts of teams when you're doing an on, on, online tournament. With an on-site tournament, since you're a small tournament, you should be looking somewhere between maybe around 40 and 60 teams, okay? That should be your maximum team cap. But again, understand that 40 and 60 teams mean... Um, 80 and 120 persons, you're going to have to worry about accommodation. Now, what are the possible plans for accommodation? That's another thing you have to ask yourself. When dealing with accommodation with regards to setting up tournaments, and I mean this in an African context, right? There are many options available to you. There are the um, financial options that will require some form of sponsorship to access, and there are also the uh, less economically uh, demanding options like hostels and um, lodges and you know homes of residences so how do you do the second one i'm going to start from there before i go up to the obvious first one this is the second one you have to look at things like um what are the high schools high schools around your area especially high schools with boarding facilities you want to also fix the tournament around a time when they have the students have vacated okay so that um that's for, for high schools that do not have large hostels so if you know large if you know high schools that have large hostel facilities and can accommodate strangers, then, of course, you want to make them your hosts. You have to present it to them. And, of course, give scholarship to their students to attend on the basis that, you know, your students can attend this tournament or based on scholarship, and then we would have uh, other people pair with your students. We'll get people who pair with your students. So your students do not have to pay because you're hosts of the tournament. That's a way to propose the tournament. Secondly, you could have um, you could have them, you know, host normally and have their students eligible in a pool to participate, right? Um, it all depends on how your negotiation skills come up with those schools, but hostels are very viable. The next one are halls of residence. I think why I say halls of residence in difference from hostels is that for hostels you have high school hostels, you have university hostels. Those are places you could use. Right. Um, for halls of residence, you have like um, independent lodges uh, and residential facilities that are not exactly tied to, you know, academic control or control of an institution or maybe a privately owned hall of residence. 
So if you have a privately owned hall of residence and it is yet to be occupied or thereabout, you could all as well speak to the owners of such residence and say, listen, we're hosting a tournament. We really like, you know, you to assist in some form. We'll take responsibility, you know, so that there's no breakage and so on and so forth because that's what people who own private organizations worry about, breakages. And then possibly they could even rent or lease that uh, those apartments for you for an, a more affordable rate. So it's it's like more affordable than hotels, right? And you don't get the regular room service cleaning and all of those things. So you have to ensure that you have a standby volunteer team and um, they, they will be taxed with providing things like soap, water, trash bags, and so on to ensure that there's sanitation in the environment, okay? So this is like, this is law. This is some things you should consider. And the next phase uh, of uh, free accommodation is if you have like a pool of students. So for instance, let's say my club, for instance, is trying to host and um, I know that I have a place and my place can take maybe three to five persons and someone else has another place and take three to five persons and a friend of mine is traveled and his place is available. I could move into his place and give my place my own room to some people. I could move in with somebody and so on and so forth. So if you have these kinds of residential issue, and I think these things are more available in, um, for, for instance, countries like Nigeria, where you have, you know, industrial action by the academic staff union that causes students to leave the school environment. You know, these are opportunities for tournaments to happen. It means that there are lots of vacant hostels or halls of residence or lodges that are available for you. So you could consider this, again, because you're a startup union. But also, if you want to go to the second option, which was like the first option I listed, the hotel option, which is like you have to pay heavily for it, feel free to ask for discounts based on the number of rooms you're getting. And please factor in the cost of hotels into your registration fee. This means that your registration fee is going to be, you know, quite high, but you might not need to use like very exotic state-of-the-art hotels, right? Well, that could be an option if you have sponsorship. You know, it might not be a, uh, it might be a luxury for you if you're still a startup tournament. You might want to use guest houses. Those are more affordable, um, affordable and motels. Okay. Guest houses and motels are usually, you know, low maintenance, uh, low space and some of, some of that. And sometimes might slash your typical average um, fee by anything from half to um, a quarter in cost. So that's something you should consider. So let's say you've dealt with that. You've dealt with your CAP. You've dealt with your um, accommodation plans because you've dealt with your team cap. The next thing you want to deal with is your volunteers, right? You want to make sure that you have people who volunteer for the event. So you can either do a call for volunteers from your local community um, and then, or you could do a call for volunteer from your um, immediate club or association, or you could have like partner associations, you know, where you could request for volunteers from. But then the next thing you have to worry about then is feeding, right? Because people need to eat. Uh, if there are shops around or food vendors around or um, food points around, then that is good. Again, another thing to, con to consider, are you feeding for the tournament? Are you feeding the participants at the tournament or are you not? If you're not feeding, you need to make sure you have proximity to where food can be gotten. You have proximity to where uh, you can obtain things like um, snack and all of that. And you could have it round the clock because if you don't have that proximity, you're going to have to deal with people migrating to food points 
and you know having to lounge at those food points so you have you have a tough task bringing them back together but again if your food point is away you need to look for a bus and that's another thing too if your accommodation point is away from your debate venue you need to look for a means of transportation so you can move everyone That was the part one of Beginner's Guide to Hosting Tournament. Thank you very much for listening. Feel free to leave comments at the comment section and um, request for the part two of this beautiful audio podcast and it will be available to you.